This podcast is powered by you. To find out more, visit DiscussingTrek.com slash support. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Hi, I'm Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Stargate historian himself, Jeremy Barrow. Jeremy, how you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty good today. I'm so tickled to be back. I can't tell you how happy I am. Yes, yes, yes. We are glad to have you back, sir. And also in the fold today, uh, as per usual, we have the Who historian, Cal Jones. Cal, how's it going, dude? I am doing pretty well. Glad to be back for another episode. Good, good, good. So, what's up, guys? What's been going on? How you all doing? Cool. Well, let's see. Since the last time uh, we recorded, I think, Clarence, you and I have been to Huntsville for Con Castabras, and which is a Doctor Who convention. But we saw somebody that was cosplaying as Geordi LaForge, which <laughs> I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, funny that at a Doctor Who convention, we stumbled upon a Geordie LaForge in the decked out uniform. <laughs> it was pretty funny and awesome at the same time. So yeah, yeah, we did, we did stumble upon a Geordie at Conca Stapras in Huntsville, which was pretty darn awesome. Yes, it was. One of these days, I want to be able to make it to one of those cons if I can ever get off work long enough. Yeah, man. Well, you know, there is one down there in Hattiesburg that I'm not entirely sure they're having this year, uh, but it's the Southern Geek Fest. Uh, we were there last year and, uh, hopefully they'll have it again this year. But of course, this weekend, in co- this weekend coming up, we have the Mississippi Comic Con here in Jackson, Mississippi. Kyle, are you excited about the Mississippi Comic Con, sir? <laughs> I am indeed. Uh, we will be there, you and I, both days, representing the discussing network of shows. So I'm excited about that, getting out to see some people that we've met last year and seeing again this year. So, yes, I'm really, really excited. Should be a lot of fun. And we will have two panels there. Am I correct? You are indeed correct. We will have a Doctor Who panel where we will be speculating on Series 11. That is at 1245 in the afternoon, panel room number two. And then I believe it is at either 215 or 245. I'm sorry that I don't remember at the moment, but we will be partnering with some friends of ours from Reality Breach, and we will be doing a comic book versus movies and TV back and forth so that that's going to be real fun i think yeah yeah man i can't wait that should be a lot of fun and like you said we'll be on board with our friends from reality breach so can't wait to have that panel with them as well as our doctor who panel that you mentioned so and you know what i'm really looking forward to on the comic book panel you and i are going to be on opposite uh ends of the spectrum where we won't be on the same team yeah 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 i will uh, argue 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 you down sir I look forward to. I look. I look forward to it. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'll just mention real quick my latest obsession, which is I have all three of the Star Trek books: uh, Desperate Hours, um, Drastic Measures, in addition to the one that just came out a few weeks back, Fear Itself, that's featuring Saru. But to my shame, to my shame, I have not 
read all of the books because I don't have time. <laughs> and, and, and it's purely my fault for not making time. But recently I saw that the books were available on Google Play on audio form, audiobooks, and they were had a, a bit of a sale going. So I think they were half price. Um, and I wound up picking up all three, three of them, spending about 40 some high bucks. But, <laughs> but I think, uh, I'll be able to consume these a lot quicker. And I'm glad that I, you know, went ahead and picked them up. So there you go. Okay. So I gotta, if you don't mind, ask a question. Yeah. So are the books abridged or a full version? Um, it's the full books. It's the full. Ah, book. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. I think uh, Desperate Hours, which I started on, is like nine hours. So, yeah. Wow. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. So the other part is, in your defense, even though you didn't read it, you I did see you last weekend when we went to Huntsville take the book with you. Yes. At least one of them. It did not have a moment to even crack it open. That's how bad it is. <laughs> So, and again, to, to my defense, I've read about what maybe six or seven chapters of the book before I, before I picked up the audiobooks. So, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> now, I don't know how y'all feel about audiobooks, but every time I've tried to listen to one, they just put me to sleep. Really? Yeah. I have I have tried and I have tried, and I just cannot make myself pay attention long enough to know what's going on. Yeah, actually, I've listened to a couple of Star Trek audiobooks already, Pathways, and I can't remember the other, but they were both two Voyager books, and I loved them. I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. And um, yeah, I'm kind of excited to dive in and hopefully not fall asleep on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, right now, so far, I will say the story has been quite exciting. So, yeah, can't wait to dive in on that. So guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. Guys, if you want to support the show, pitch in a dollar. I'll just say go to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash discussing Trek. Um, anything you give there will help us uh, for server calls, etc. And thanks for, for contributing, if you do. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Deep Space Nine, the very first episode, Emissary. So, guys, uh, before we get into our review of the the uh, first commission episode for Star Trek Deep, Deep Space Nine, I want to talk about a bit of Star Trek Discovery news. So, have you guys heard about the news about the showrunners? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't read the article, but I saw that there's going to be new showrunners yeah, well, there's already new showrunners. Yeah, Star Trek showrunners Berg and Harbitz, which is uh, Aaron Harbitz and Gretchen Berg, are out. Um, they are stating that it wasn't really creative differences. It was more so of a um, production operational problem. So that makes me think that maybe they were running over budget and uh, and, and long on time. That's that's what I think was may have been a problem. But uh, stepping in is the co-creator and executive producer, Alex Kurtzman, to helm the show now. Of course, you know, he's a uh, creator of the show, executive producer, as well as he wrote the the reboot movie. He co-wrote the reboot movie as well as Into Darkness. He co-wrote as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Interesting that they kind of switched things up. What do you guys think about that? I'm wondering how this is going to affect the release date. Like if it's going to be pushed back more or because yeah. we still don't have a release date, right? 
Well, uh, <laughs> I hope this is not correct, but this article is stating, which is on TrekNews.net, it is stating that um, season two won't debut until sometime in 2019. Yeah. I'm, oh, that's not fair. Yeah, that's not fair, man. I'm not happy about that. But, but, um, yeah. So hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> but you, but you know, I think that unfortunately. I'm going to say that it's probably right, because if you look at about when the show ended and then you look at how much production probably goes into this type of special effects heavy show, I'm not sure. So sure that a January, February is that far out of reach. Yeah. And, and on top of that, they're only on the fifth episode so far of shooting, which they just started shooting, like, I think early last month, early May. So yeah, it's a ways off. And, you know, I guess, you know, people need their time off to relax and re recharge and, you know, jump back on the bandwagon again. So, hey, you know, as long they can as- relax and recharge after the season is over <laughs> and go ahead and give me my Star Trek. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, also another thing is that, you know, in previous times we were getting 22 episode seasons like clockwork every season. But now we only got, what, 14, 16? And so, yeah. it's taken forever. But I think that goes to the point that the production value is much higher than what we may have had on the older shows. So, But let me ask this. If you had four or five different Star Trek sh- shows going on at the same time, would we not be then saying that we've got Star Star Trek um, fatigue, like we were saying we've got Star Wars fatigue? I don't or know. some people were saying Star Wars fatigue? I don't know. I, I, I always thought of the mid-90s as being the Star Trek uh, golden age. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, I agree. Uh, it just I guess it's just your point of view. And, and honestly, I mean, personally, I don't believe we really have Star Wars fatigue is, I think, what you, what you were saying. Yes, I, I I think maybe we just have a echo chamber of internet fans that have have, and maybe even right rightfully so in some aspects, but have kind of steered the conversation, and you know, resulting in what we saw in 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 the box office numbers with Solo, things just kind of going awry. So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't think we could we, I, you know, I would want most more Star Trek. Give me more, <laughs> you know, if we had, if we had a season going on all the time, maybe they, you know, swapped, uh, off seasons. I think that would be fantastic, but who knows? Who knows? Well, I think if we had like two or three different types of like Star Trek or Star Wars shows at one time, I think that would ease the fatigue up because if you got like, you know, three different series, like just like Voyager going on, then you're just going to be tired of it after so long. Yeah. So if we have like a live action and animated and, you know, something else, you know, just just to kind of mix it up. Yeah, I think that would help out. Yeah. I mean, there's someone somewhat doing that with the comic book properties and the books. It's just not all on TV. So we are getting kind of a mix up of media as far as Star Trek Discovery goes. But talking about different shows, um, let's get into our review of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Emissary. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. 
it's been like 25 years. So I think at this point, <laughs> you know, if you the haven't seen it at this point, limitations. I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, so what are our overall thoughts of this episode? A very different tone of Star Trek, if you know, especially for the people who were watching it at the time coming from TNG to this. <laughs> what are our, you know, high level views on this episode? I think this is the first episode of Star Trek I actually watched with purpose. So it's kind of hard to compare it to something I'd seen before. So everything I've watched after has been compared to this one, if that makes any sense. No, no, totally, totally. I totally get that. What about you, Cal? So for me, I remember watching this. I mean, I, I watched this from the beginning, and I remember watching it, but it's been so many years since I've seen it that, for the most part, I knew that Cisco and the others came to this, you know, came to the uh, DS9, but I didn't remember anything or surrounding it or anything like that. I really enjoyed it, and I had fun watching it. And I'll quote one of our, well, our co-host on Discussing Who, Lee, who often says, going back all these many years later and watching it as being an older version of me than what I was then, it just gives it a new perspective. And so I had a new perspective of it. So, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, for me, and I'm trying to think back to when I originally saw this or maybe maybe less so when I saw this first episode, or maybe more so when I saw um Avery Brooks portraying uh Benjamin Cisco. Um just personally for me, seeing a black guy, an African American, <laughs> not not helming a ship but helming a station, um and in charge, you know, to me that that was huge for me and that was Definitely one of the things that really made me latch on to Star Trek as a whole. I mean, though, you know, I like space and all that stuff, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very different show with a very different tone, but it has all those elements we know and love from Star Trek's times past. And the character that Cisco manages to create, you know, uh, relationships with his his son, which, you know, I just thought I think is huge as like a role model or as as as, to sh you know, their relationship is very loving. It's like the, you know, <laughs> it's the quintessential, not quintessential. It's a very model-esque relationship from for a father and son. And, you know, a lot of the emotion that's surrounding his circumstances. I just really, really love this episode. And and yeah, I guess we should get into it. So we start off the episode with resistance is futile. <laughs> we, we see Cisco is in the battle with the Borg aboard the Saratoga and things aren't exactly going well. So this this uh battle actually takes place at Wolf 359, which is three years before the events of uh, Deep Space Nine. What are our thoughts on maybe give me your thoughts on this being a tie in to TNG as well as just how they chose to start the series? I was kind of surprised at the, I guess, antagonistic relationship between Cisco and Picard. Uh, you could almost feel him wanting to jump across that desk and just <laughs> throttle Picard yeah. during that first meeting. Yeah, agreed. 
Yeah. So for me, I don't think I was surprised. What I remember was, you know, yes, I did love the fact that it was crossing over with it, you know, with TNG. But my note that I made here is we so often see all these fights and we see these ships getting blown up or damaged, but you never see the repercussions of all these other ships. You know, the Star Trek uh, main ship that's the story the the not enterprise ships right you never see those and the fact that we see the repercussions of what's going on i thought was you know brilliant even at the time and you know even watching it again now but clarence if you don't mind i want to go back and make a comment really really quick on something you said about cisco and his son Do do you mind go for it so so you made you made the comment of seeing the uh, you know, that was you were having an African-American and you were seeing, you know, the family and you saw all of this with his son and his relationship with the son. One thing that I took away from that, you know, even all those years ago, you, you see so many news and stereotypes of, you know, the the black guy is not going to take care of his son. And this was the so yes. opposite of that. And it was such a positive presentation that that was what i remembered most was yes the it was not a single mother taking care of a child it was a single father taking care of a child and i thought that was brilliantly done and i seem to remember back when it was first premiered going on that that they made a big deal about it was a single african-american father taking care of his son and how that's just not represented a lot on television especially at the time and still today, really, you don't see a whole lot of it today of any single father television shows or movies that show them in a positive light like this did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with everything you guys said. It's, it's, it's seeing the type of relationship they had in spite of, you know, kind of some pretty dire circumstances <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to manage to, you know, have this loving model-esque relationship. And I mean, there wasn't a time those two weren't on screen that I didn't really think, you know, they felt like they were really father and son. And that is about what a that's a huge thing about this series that is really enduring to me, you know, uh, from 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 the, just their normal relationship to what they bond around, like baseball and things like that. It's just just awesome. And I think I read somewhere recently about a retrospective that they still have that relationship to this day. Really? Like, really? like, like they still, like he's still considered, uh, Avery Brooks is still considered a father figure to Chirac Lofton, I think his name is. Yes. Yes. A serial okay. Lofton? I think maybe Chirac. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I knew I was probably going to pronounce it wrong, but I was going to give it a <laughs> shot anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're, they're still close and tight and they still keep up with each other. Yes. And, um, Obviously, this episode is tying into the two-parter Next Generation, The Best of Both Worlds, and when, when Picard becomes Lakutus of Borg. And, um, yeah, like you said, Jeremy, um, Benjamin Sisko has a enraged <laughs> feeling of, <laughs> of Captain Picard. You know, maybe rightfully, rightfully so. I, I don't disagree with his reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> I was just kind of surprised to see it because, you know, I, I had always envisioned Picard not being a, a Trekkie or a Trek fan up until this point of being just well loved by everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. They definitely flipped it on you know, the head. Right. 
So to, and, and I like seeing an antagonistic relationship within Starfleet itself, which you don't see very often. You see them disagree, yeah, but you don't see you know that just like almost pure hatred of one person to another. Yeah. But Patrick Stewart played that so well because he came across as totally, in my opinion, oblivious as to why he was mad. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes when people are doing very, you know, of course he was a Borg, so we can state that. But when people are doing very heinous things, they kind of don't drill down to the the human level. and. Right. And we have this where Jennifer, you know, uh, Cisco's wife dies. And of course he's, he's holding that in. We even see it later in the episode when the, the, the non corporeal beings or the celestials, whatever you want to call them, they are, are making a statement that he's living in that moment. You know, all these years later, he's still living in that moment. So definitely impactful. Yes. But I will say that whole, and this is just, just one of my little ticks. That whole conversation between Cisco and the Corporeals was really just driving me crazy. Really? I'm not. Yeah, I don't know why. I think I think it was just like the. I loved it. The tone, or, or I, I'm not sure what it was, but that whole conversation just like I've seen that episode like two or three times now. It just drives me mad every single time. Oh man, is that's one of the best parts of the episode to me? Uh, but yeah, let's let, let's 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 table that for a minute and kind of. Um, okay. So we see where Jake and Cisco arrive on his space station. It's pretty much um <laughs> a dump. <laughs> um and what 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 I want to know you guys impressions around the circumstances of why they're here. Uh we had the uh, the Cardassian occupation of Bajor and they finally after they pretty much drained the planet dry, they they finally have um left and the Bajorans have gained their independence. Uh what do we think of Starfleet actually coming in and trying to help them and 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 what do we think of them coming in after this group has finally gained some semblance of independence and yet <laughs> yeah I, I think Kira says as much it's almost another occupation. That's kind of what it felt like. And really throughout the series it kind of felt like it's like, yeah, you got your independence from them, but come join us. We'll treat you better, even though it'd be kind of almost the same circumstance. Mm, I kind of disagree because you pretty much see from the first episode and the events of the first episode, the Kardashians were not malevolent. I mean, you know, I mean, not oh, benevolent. No. They were quite no, no, malevolent. No. And yes, the. You know, I, I could argue that, yes, the Federation could offer so much more to to these people. I took it more so as the Federation comes along and says, you've got your independence now. Yes, you're going to join us, but, ye- but you're going to stay independent in your own way. But we're going to help you prevent this from ever happening again. Zed, I wasn't trying to throw like, you know, the Starfleet under the bus or anything. I, you know, I think they were, their intentions are noble. I just, it just kind of felt like it was the opposite, the, the flip side of the Kardashian op- occupation where, you know, 
we're going to come in and we're going to help take over, but we're going to make it better instead of, you know, yeah. raping the resources and it, it, taking what we want. It, and I'm sure that, I mean, that's very similar to what we see maybe in some of the Middle Eastern countries where we're driving out ISIS, but we're staying. <laughs> right. And, and, and are we better? Quote unquote. I, yeah. <laughs> True. You know, we would like to think we're better than, than, you know, this, maniacal group of of of, um, of people that were there before but do we know that for a fact you know i guess it's all perception yeah what is it they say history is written by the victors yes oh so let's move on to some of the characters that we see early on so early on we see chief o'brien what do we think about seeing tng characters pop up uh of course we talked about Bacard a minute ago as as making a cameo but Looks like Chief O'Brien is staying. Oh, I totally love this. Absolutely love this. I like Chief O'Brien, but before I saw him in Star Trek, I saw him in Stargate where he played a Draenei who tried to blow up Atlantis. And I saw him in Hell on Wheels who was not the <laughs> nicest person. So it was very strange for me seeing him, you know, being this quintessential kind of bad guy to, you know, happy-go-lucky Chief O'Brien who just, you know, does his job, does it well. And, and fusses you know, at computers, apparently. Right, <laughs> it kicks him too. You know, I don't remember seeing him in Stargate. What 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 character? Was, it, he, I can't remember the character's name, but he was the leader of a race called the Draenei, who um, at the end of the first season of Atlantis tried to take over the city. Interesting, and that was obviously and, after DS Nine. In in I real think time. so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Huh. I need see to what I liked. What I liked about him was you took this minor character off of the Enterprise and, and on here he was fleshed out and was able to flourish as a character in his own right in DS9. That's what I liked about him. And, and see, I like, do, I like it when people do that. I like it when that happens because um, I think it was in Hamlet. There's two characters called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And Tom Stoppard wrote a book called Rosen, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. It just brought two minor characters and gave them their own story, ah. which, I, which I love. I love it when that happens because it just fleshes out the rest of the world. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, uh, seeing him escape from transporter room three um, <laughs> finally. And I don't remember him having a big as an engineering impact on TNG. But maybe I'm just not remembering correctly. But yeah, this guy's come on and he's like, he, his, he has skills that can rival Jordan LaForge's, you know? <laughs> he, oh yeah. He is doing the thing, which I, I just love, um, how he's trying to wrestle with this Cardassian space station and, um, you know, get things up to Starfleet code. Moving on to some more characters. I want to talk about a particular changeling, Odo. <laughs> what, what do we think about Odo? Odo is one of my, favorite characters in the whole series it's just absolutely just just one of my favorites yeah i've you know jeremy i'm going to agree with you for once because yeah, <laughs> um odo is by far uh one of my favorite characters on here that i'm i'm always you know anytime there's a shapeshifter that's like right up my alley <laughs> and that was yes absolutely i, I really liked odo yeah, which is funny because I've been watching TNG through again, and there's an episode where there's a changeling on it. I think it's a changeling queen or some. She's not a queen. Anyway, I cannot remember, but 
She she has nothing to do with Odo apparently because I researched it at the time. I'm like, oh, she might have something to do with Odo, but you know, I guess changelings in sci-fi is not really a novel idea. But I will say I love what they do with Odo, not only in this episode, but you know, just going forward, finding creative ways to use him, and we see where he goes aboard aboard the Cardassian ship um, as a bag <laughs> of latinum, I guess. Right. And yeah, I, I just love when they do those cre- creative things. And he's, he definitely fits in the mold of one of the character types that I like. And when I say that being the character that is so generic at the beginning of the season and by, or the series and by the end of the series, he just the, blooms into something almost totally different, but still the same. And you know, so, so who's his equivalent on discovery? Oh, good question. I, I guess we don't know yet. We don't. Yeah, know I don't yet. think we've made it that far because what I, what I liked about Odo, and they've done this with uh, Data and Star Trek: The Next Generation and Seven Nine and the Doctor and Voyager, yeah, yeah. is that they're so detached from humanity that they don't have these little quirks that you know we do, where you know these pleasantries and you know thank you and all. They don't understand how that works. Yeah. So you get to see his understanding of humanity. I guess as we're supposed to see it, yeah. You know, s- someone who starts out raw and then becomes a full, pardon the pun, fleshed person. Yeah. Then- All right. So I have two candidates okay. for who it's going to be from Discovery. Let's hear it. It's either going to be Commander Killy or it's going to be Saru. Hmm. I was I was thinking you were going to say Saru. I knew you were going to say, and I agree with you on that one. Yeah, I was thinking Saru, but. Uh, to me, Kill- Killy is already a, as far as personality, a pretty fleshed out character, but I definitely could see her as far as I'm going to be captain one day. You know, I can see her having that growth to by the end of the run of the show. She's just like this awesome, bad A character. I definitely could see that. Yeah. And also- okay. Well, I mean, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to put one more layer to it. So Clarence, you've been quoted on one of our other shows as, as saying, that once I am through with something, I'm through with something. And I was through with Tilly at the beginning (laughs) of the season. And over the course of the season, she became one of my favorite characters. So for that alone, (laughs) she is progressing. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Definitely. And, you know, in a large sense, I can even see that character maybe even being Burnham in a a, a sense, because she kind of had that transformation in the first season alone but to me it wasn't more so personality maybe it's a little bit more achievement in that sense i'm not can't quite put my finger in it but she she definitely has had growth in the first season not enduring like i love in characters like odo and the doctor uh but she definitely has growth so i guess we'll see on down the line uh and i would throw one more name out ah. stam it hmm. i think Stamets because he's such a hard ass yeah such an uncaring yeah. you know Sob, I, I can see with this, you know, this spore drive being part of, you know, being part of him or whatever. I can see that mellowing him out over the seasons to where he can be a decent human being. And and speaking of, we're going to jump right into the community leader himself, Quark. Oh my God, man, the the bender between Odo and Quark is legendary, and um, Quark is one of those characters for me as well. Maybe all of DS Nine. I just love the show so much. <laughs> But man, Cork by the end of the show is such a lovable teddy bear of a character. And he does not start off that way. Definitely does not. 
and you know, um, appointed community, appointed community leader by Cisco himself, uh, with a bit of blackmail question mark. What do we think about Cisco blackmailing Quark? I like that aspect of the show where it's not all black and white, all cut and dry. Where it's very, where it's very gray, and mm. that you do stuff to get stuff, you do the stuff like that to get stuff done. Mm. Mm. See, I take it from the perspective of very smart, very strategic move from Cisco's point of view, because in the world of a Ferengi, that was not being underhanded. That's what you do. That's that's right. par to the course. Now, as far as the character of Cork, I freaking hated him at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> he was the most irritating character I think I'd ever seen on TV. More than two? at the beginning. He's my Tilly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Cisco even says as much as uh, you talk about gray areas. Uh, he says what Bajoran rules, Starfleet fleet control, or something to that effect. So mm-hmm. we we definitely see so, have- yeah. Yeah, we definitely have Bajoran rules for the station, which, to, to your credit, Jeremy, it kind of allows for a bit of um, lawlessness. <laughs> yeah. It's quote unquote, sort of, uh, for the station, which, you know, makes it all good fun. Yeah. So when we now, got, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, you know, speaking of Quark, I like Quark. I can and I like Rom, but I cannot stand to look at Rom. Because he's got that one tooth that juts off to the side, and every time he comes on screen, that's all I can look at. Because I just want to rip that tooth, that one tooth out. We're going to give Rom the award for the goofiest, smartest person ever. Because the dude is smart, but he is. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. He's the quintessential smart and stupid person. Yes. Like just textbook, textbook. So when we dive into Deep Space Nine, I mean. Not only does it differ in that the series takes place in one stationary location, though we did see it move a bit in this episode, but it also has huge religious or what is seen as religion at first aspects. Um, is this something we thought would work in a Star Trek series? Hmm. I know it's not what Gene Roddenberry wanted. <laughs> He wanted to kind of steer away from – he wanted this whole utopian, everyone's happy. You know, in the end of the episode, everything's, you know, the way it should be. And religion often does not allow for that. So I know that's not his vision of DS9, of, of Star Trek. But I don't know if it should have worked or not. I'm glad it did. It worked out wonderfully. But I don't know if it should have. Well, it's interesting that you said what you did regarding that's not his vision and the fact of he wasn't involved in creating it. He got, I believe he gave his blessing, you know, to, before he died. However, he wasn't involved in create in the setup and structure. Yeah. Right. Hmm. It, oh, man, you know what? What do you think, Clarence? Yeah. Uh, why? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I think that I think that it's what we see in a lot of series. And again, I'm going to go back to TNG because I'm watching it again right now. But there's this episode where there's this um, there's this pre-warp civilization and they actually wind up beaming one of the people up there to save his life. One of the pre-warp civilization people to save this, save his life. And he wakes up and sees Picard and, uh, he thinks Picard is a god. He calls him the Picard. So I said that to say that even though on the face of it, 
this seems like a religious thing. Even by the end of the episode, we see that it's not really a religious thing. Of course, the the Bajorians, the Bajorans view it as religion, but ultimately it's about this alien species, you know, and, and then maybe that, that is religion. We're, we're, we worship, you know, if you're Christianity, you worship this God who could be considered an alien species that we don't know anything about, but he's, you know, has all these powers and he's, uh, our almighty or however you view him. And that's not too dissimilar from what we're seeing here. So I think the fact that we see the aliens and we know the aliens and we have this drawn out thing where Cisco is trying to relate to these, uh, non-incorporeal beings, these celestials. I think that is enough for me to kind of say, Oh, it's about religion, but it's also about science and the alien race. Mm, good point. Yeah, mm. that is a good point. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about some of those flashbacks. So we see where Apaka, Kayapaka, majority spiritual leader, um, has this conversation with Cisco and he has this flashback to Gilgo Beach. <laughs> what? <laughs> What, what, what do you guys think about Cisco's initial interaction with Jennifer on, on, on this, um, beach? Just, just a quick, this had to be long and drawn out, but what do you think about the energy that he brought or, or the kind of, um, joy that he brought to that particular scene? You could tell it just made him so happy to be back there. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, it, he was just, that was like his, the first, it was almost like the first bit of happiness he's had in the past three years. Yes, was being able to relive that moment. Oh, see, I'm 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 the complete opposite. I'm I, I looked at it from the perspective of, excuse me, wow, I feel really bad for you because he's he is interacting with this person who he has lost, and the whole time, no matter how happy and you know joyous and loving and whatever it may have been i saw it as feeling really bad for him oh my god i freaking loved his joy that he had in this scene i mean from beginning to jumping on the hot sand to the end when he's macking her down i just i i ate up every minute of it of it now the the bathing suit is questionable for him but <laughs> But, but, but Jennifer is hot and it's just freaking, I love that scene, man. That may be one of my favorite Star Trek scenes, period. Um, I just really love it. Uh, but we see where, um, Kayapaka gives him this mission to collect these nine orbs and find this celestial uh, te- temple. I do find it funny that Dax finds it in less than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been they've been searching for this thing forever. I just found that really weird. Gee. Oh, it's in the. But something. Dax is awesome like that. Yeah, Dax is awesome. I will not deny that Dax is fracking awesome. But yeah, that fast and and they supposedly found it in some belt, but I didn't see any belt. I just saw space. So, uh. but anyway, what do we think about that Dax? We see Dax and Pashur make an appearance at the same time. Any thoughts on either? Yeah, it was really interesting seeing the dude that plays uh, Bashir so young because I've just seen him in Game of Thrones and in Gotham. So that was really kind of almost weird seeing him so young. 
uh, he was very bumbling, I thought, at the beginning. Uh, likable, but yet bumbling. And Dax, I remembered that I really liked her. Hmm. Fun fact. Um, the guy that plays Bashir, I forget his real name. And, and something Sadiq. Alex, Alexander Sadiq. Alexander Sadiq. Yeah. Um, they wanted him to, they wanted the, the higher ups wanted to fire him because he was so unliked on the show. Yeah. They, but wasn't he also one of the front runners for the, the part of Cisco? Like at the very beginning? Yes, yes, he was supposed but, but, to play Cisco um until I I guess who scouted him? Was it um was it Berman? It may have been Berman. Whoever scouted him for for the role, uh when he found out his age, he was like, "No, we can't let you play Cisco." But yeah, he was originally, you know, slated to uh to uh get the role, which I thought So, so when you say he was unlikable, do you mean he was unlikable amongst the cast or unlikable in screening of the show? I think as a, a screening, well, I took it as screening on the show. He was an unlikable character. Got you. You got it. You know, it took me a while to be able to like him. I didn't hate him, but it took me a while to be able to go, okay, this guy's pretty cool. But you have to admit, like at the beginning, he was like a cocky playboy. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, the scene between him and uh, Kira when he finds his medical bay, <laughs> we talked about frontier medicine. Yeah, like, wilderness is my home. I'm a genetically engineered all that and bag of chips guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then we talk about um, Dax for a bit. Um, so I had to research this because I didn't remember, but apparently the trio was introduced. Now, I don't know if this was first introduction, but it was uh, featured on the episode of TNG called The Host, in which Riker was temporarily joined with a trio negotiator. Which I thought was pretty interesting. What do you think about Dax being old man? Okay, I like so that. Can, okay, go ahead. No, that's really all I had. I liked it. I thought it was a uh, interesting. You know, this young, beautiful young woman playing. You know, the essentially uh, what could be construed as a dirty old man. <laughs> you know, I thought that, and I thought she did it really well too. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll echo that. I'll take the dirty out of it, but I will say that that that, that I really like the idea of of you've got this younger woman and she's playing this old man. I'm totally on board for that. And and I really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely love that Dax. She is she is awesome. One of my favorite characters in the show. And I think that's the thing to me about DS9. It's just like all the characters are so memorable. And so endearing, even down to Fontaine. I mean, I love the characters in this show. <laughs> Freaking awesome. Um, hmm. So let's talk about the actual, I guess we'll get into the main part, which I guess the last two main things of the episode is, uh, Cisco and Dax traveling into the wormhole. And we have the whole encounter with Cisco talking to the, the celestials, as well as on the outside, we have Kira, um, trying to protect the station and taking the command role. Um, did anybody think the initial comment from Chief O'Brien that uh, about Bajoran women was kind of sexist? Mm, yeah, I did. But I also thought, yeah, maybe not for 1993. Yeah. What did, wait, I, I, missed, I must have missed what he say, because uh, I'm not recalling that. Something about she's a ball of fire or something like that. Something to that effect. I can't remember the exact wording. But he's basically telling Cisco to watch out because she's, she's a handful. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, I agree. I can kind of see that as being sexist. Probably not agree with Kyle, not for 1993, but now, you know, 
I, I can see how that could be misconstrued. Yeah, but he, and it probably wasn't say. Probably didn't mean it as being sexist. It was probably just meant it as well. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, and 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 he was not wrong because man, Kira, uh, Major Kira, um, has a very interesting backstory, and I think that kind of influences everything that she says and does in the show. Period. Uh, we see where she is was a rebel, um, fighting for independence of of Bajor, and I guess she's been doing it since she's a little kid. Yeah. And, and and yeah, um, I really loved how she takes command because because really the first major fight we see in here on DS Nine, Cisco's not even involved. It's all Major Kira. Um, what do we think about her ability to like take command and kind of run things? Do we like oh, that? I was yes, absolutely. I mean, the fact I really like the fact that she stood on her own. Number one, as a woman. Number two, the fact that she was a Bajoran to separate that these people are capable. Without you know, they were yes, they were occupied. Yes, they and you know, call it enslaved or whatever by the the Kardashians, but. The, you know, she showed that these people aren't mindless just following what the Kardashians said. They're capable. So yeah. for that, I loved it. And this episode reminded me why her and Odo were my two favorite characters on this story and this whole series. <laughs> I, I agree with everything you just said, except that last part, because <laughs> she is my least favorite character in the whole series. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I had to think about that one. You, you, I mean, you I, but I, Clarence? What's that, Cal? Where, where do you fall? Do, do, where do you fall <laughs> in the liking of those? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, cause <laughs> I, maybe she's my least favorite too. Man, it has so many good characters, dude. It has so many good characters. Not saying that she's bad, but man, it's so many good characters on the show. Yeah, she's probably. I, I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really warmed up to her. She's just so. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that you know she's very. For freedom of Bajor. She is very Bajor. Yeah. She believes her people can stand up on her own. She's a very commanding leader, but she just gets on my damn nerves every time she comes <laughs> on. Every time she, she is such a crusader for her cause yeah. that I just cannot almost deal with her. Okay. Let me ask almost all she thinks. And about. on the same note, I cannot deal with, uh, Quark. So, so let me, let me throw this back at you, Jeremy. Is it because she's a woman or is, or is it because She's so focused on this fight or this fire that is in her because of what she's gone through. So it, it's the fire. It's the fire. I mean, I don't give a damn that she's a woman. Is if good, 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 if it's a good character, it's a good character. But the mm -hmm. fact that she just is so almost narrow, you know, just got these blinders on everything around her that all she's focused on is this, you know, her hatred of the Cardassians yeah, and I get you know, the freedom. Yeah, that I just, she just, I just can't. I don't want to say I can't stand her because I can because I've seen this the, every episode at least twice now. But 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 we but do see, at least like yeah. Well, we do see when she comes around by the end of the series is less hatred, maybe maybe even you know um, an understanding between her and the Cardassians by the end of the series. But I, I definitely get what you're saying uh, early on, and probably even for half of the series, she's pretty um, rightfully so though anti-Cardassian. <laughs> So, so yeah, I don't know if I could blame her too much on that. Uh, I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm just saying it gets on my nerves. 
So let's move on to maybe the other last main part of the episode is this whole encounter with Cisco and the Celestials. Um, what do we think about him, uh, Benjamin Cisco making this attempt to try to make these beings understand who we are? And I want to kind of relate it before I let you guys go, but I want to kind of relate it to not too dissimilar from what we see in the counter at Farpoint. Um, in, in the counter at Farpoint, we see Q, a godlike being, um, trying to justify the existence of the human race. And maybe the stakes aren't as high as what we see in, uh, encounter at Farpoint. Um, the, these beings doesn't, don't say they're going to kill anybody. They just said they're going to close the wormhole, if I remember correctly. Um, but, but what do we think about this whole thing where Cisco is trying to relay to these beings, like, who we really are. Mm. Jeremy, you better take that one because I know where I will go with this one. So I'll <laughs> let you take that one. Um, well, like I said earlier, the whole, the whole thing, the whole conversation, it just honestly confused me. And I've seen a lot of like time travel and a lot of nonlinear and linear. And I've had this whole debate with, with several people and it just still confuses me to this day about, you know, hmm. well, about what is, what is time and, you know, cause and effect and all that. And I just, I understood what it was trying to do, but the conversation itself, it was just kind of maddening. Yeah. No, I definitely understand what you're saying. And I guess, um, myself, you know, being the Christian faith and we often hear, I mean, it, it, it's, we hear it a lot that, you know, God is, you know, has no sense of time. He is, right. he wasn't, was, he's not the future. He's, there in here right now. So that notion here felt very familiar to me. So I love the aspect of Cisco diving in and trying to explain that. Think of, think of, think of trying to explain it to a being that has no concept of what time is. Just converse, conversely, like somebody trying to explain to us the existence of a place without time. It's like the opposite. And I just loved how they use the different vignettes of his life. Maybe I shouldn't use vignettes because they weren't all good. <laughs> different parts <laughs> of his life to try to explain like what a human is and how they exist and what fun is and all these aspects of the human existence to try to, to, to let the people, let these beings know like who we exactly are. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts, man? Okay. So. For the explanation of what time is, I'll just briefly, you know, singularly say I've spent so much time obsessing on Doctor Who that <laughs> the the whole concept of linear time versus all happening at once, I kind of, I don't want to say I got that, but I kind of got that because of, because of, you know, my obsession. Mm -hmm. Having said that, though, the thing that I really, really, really enjoyed about the interaction between Cisco and these celestial type beings was I think that he convinced them that humans were good and that humans had the understanding because of them going back to that singular moment and understanding of you are living in this moment. And they, I think there was a realization between them and him of what that moment is 
because I think we've all got moments like that. You know, every all three of us and everybody we know, we all have moments like that that we just by our memories go back to for whatever reason, good, bad, happy, sad that we go to. And, you know, I, I think that for me is what I took away more than anything is you took that pain and you showed these beings through the pain. And I think it kind of healed him a little bit. Yeah. And, and if I'm related back again to encounter at Farpoint for TNG, the kind of the point that Picard makes to Q is that we're not done yet. We're changing. We are getting better. You don't know our potential uh, for greatness. And that's kind of the same thing that Cisco says here. Uh, he makes the statement that it is the unknown that defines our existence because uh, from one moment to the next, you never know what's going to happen. Now that could potentially be a bad thing, but he even goes as much to state is that we accept that as part of our existence. So, I mean, just so many deep things within kind of that dream slash spirit sequence, <laughs> um, which I just really, really love. Now, let me ask you this, Jeremy, not to give too many spoilers to the series, but I know you, you've seen the series as a whole and the last episode kind of shadows this same exact experience. Did you like it more there as opposed to here? I, I think it was about the same. It's been a while since I've seen that episode, but I know what you're talking about. It's it's roughly about the same. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's – they're just – and I don't think it's – I think it's just – might have been the vignettes. It might have been just the – you know, just the way it was constructed. Yeah. But – those scenes as a whole, whether it be DS9 or any anything else, they just – my mind just has to go somewhere else because I just cannot process all that they're doing, trying to do it one time. <laughs> no, I definitely get it, man. I definitely get it. But yeah. I also agree with Kyle about – you know, I've seen enough Doctor Who because I, I, there was a point where that's all I watched that, you know, I kind of get the linear and nonlinear. But I've seen enough variations of linear and nonlinear that they all get kind of bundled up together and they're not all the same thing. Yeah. No, I, so I, it, might, it might just be an overload. It might just be a, a, a linear, nonlinear overload. Dare I say, timey wimey? Mm, I was going to say it. that, but I resisted the temptation. <laughs> oh, it's low hanging fruit. So, guys, any other takeaways about this episode before we wrap things up? Okay, so 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 two things. One funny, and well, I guess the two two that are funny. Um, whenever I was making my notes, and just out of habit. I wrote occupied by the Kardashians, but I didn't spell Kardashian with a C. I spelled it with a K. <laughs> How so, dare you? <laughs> so I, I don't thought even that know was, you. I thought that was funny because TV has been, <laughs> you know, somewhat occupied by the Kardashians. But uh, also, that's I the ancient could, spelling. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so the other, the other thing that I found really kind of funny was at the very beginning when they first, uh, showed, um, Jake and, uh, Cisco. Uh huh. I was looking at Jake and I was like, dang it. That's where they got the doctor's pants from. Oh, the new- <laughs> he just had his pants rolled up, man. <laughs> Cause he's yeah, fishing. But, yeah, but still, <laughs> if you look, if you go back and you look at it, oh, God. The, the, those dang, dang pants look like the. So anyway, that's that's my two uh, side comments of whatever. So what you're saying, pants from Jake, shirt from Wesley? That's what you're saying? 
Yeah, and something from Mark to Mark. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> see, now I can't unsee that. That is officially. <laughs> oh boy. So uh, I just want to do a quick note about Avery Brooks and him having hair in this episode. So, or the first three seasons for that matter, uh, Avery Brooks was contractually obligated to have hair. Yes. Really? Because he was bald headed and had a goatee in Spencer for hire. And that made him look Kojak esque. So they wanted to separate him from what he had done before. So he was required to actually have hair. Yeah, kind of cool. <laughs> and who knows that shaving his head would make him captain? <laughs> yeah, go figure. That's never happened. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're wrapping up things. Uh, I will go around the horn, and I'll start with Jeremy. Jeremy, man, anything you want to talk about, podcast-related or otherwise, that has been tickling well, your fancy? Well, I will say, I mean, just, just real quick, going back to DS9, I do like o- Kai Opaka. Over Kyle Wynn any day. Uh, you are probably right. <laughs> oh, Kyle Wynn was so bad. I, I love the actress who played Kyle Wynn, but she that, just kind of, yeah. she was a little bit too much sometimes. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, I get totally get what you're saying, sir. <laughs> so any takeaways, man? Any takeaways? Um uh, podcast related otherwise you want to talk about before we get out of here um, I really don't have anything I'm going to go try to sneak off to go see The Incredibles 2 tonight ah good one good one yeah and I'm hoping there are no kids there <laughs> good luck <laughs> yeah well that's why I'm going to the late show I don't want any kids I've been waiting 14 years for this movie I don't want any kids screaming and hollering and making noise oh <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I got to see that one too, man. I, first, I had to go back and watch the first one because it's been like over ten years since I've seen it. Yeah, same here. And, and then I want to go watch the new one. So yeah, that that's definitely on the bucket list. Kyle, man, what have you been up to, podcast related or otherwise, or anything uh, I, or whatever? Well, well, I will say that anybody that wants to find out other things that you and I work on, uh, we can go, or you can go, or they can go too discussingnetwork.com and also you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com backslash discussing network and I said backslash didn't I? I certainly did <laughs> but it's still discussing network and be sure to subscribe yes yes again that check us out at discussingnetwork.com and youtube.com backslash discussing network alright guys thanks for joining me it's been a lot of fun going over this first episode of Deep Space Nine uh, episode 1 and 2 Emissary and uh, guys if you have any questions or thoughts about what we talked about tell us how we're wrong send in feedback to fans at discussingtrek.com and you can check us out on social media at discussingtrek pretty much everywhere and yeah uh, thank you for joining us and until next time guys live long and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.